Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. If you're lucky, someone will tell you what they actually want in a dashboard when they ask you to make one. However, if you're like most people and not so lucky, you're probably going to have to figure it out as you go. Thankfully, there are some principles you can apply that will help you create application dashboards that are useful. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of the basic principles you should consider when building an application dashboard. While dashboards can often be very complex, a few simple principles can help immensely. But before we get started, Will, what's been dashing your board? (laughs) Well, speaking of getting dashed, like on rocks, I don't have to have knee surgery. I just have a badly bruised patella and the back of my femur is bruised. And I do not know, like, I don't remember getting hit, but I guess I did get hit pretty hard. Um, the doctor did an MRI and was looking at it. And this was a month after and was like, it must have been substantial, you know, a month ago. And he's like, it's still going to hurt for several weeks. So uh, that was still good. That was nice. The other thing I'm doing is I am trying to rework my home lab. I've got like this huge list of 60 some odd items that I want to do. And I'm trying to figure out what order to do them in where it's the least painful. And, you know, like when you build an app, you think about like, you know, I'm setting up a web app. I've got to get it to work on the web server. You know, that's the first thing I've got to got to get it to connect to a database. I got to get my dependency injection set up. I've got to get, you know, my routing infrastructure set up. Like you got this, this set of steps that you do that makes it where you're not redoing things, but you can continue moving forward. And for complex network setups, like in a home lab, I don't have that. And so I'm trying to figure out what that looks like for actual professionals. And I don't know how to Google food this. So if, if people are interested in the discussion, it, it'll be on our Slack channel. But yeah. Yeah, if you haven't joined our Slack, you should because it's pretty cool. We we have some awesome people on there. We have some other podcasters, some other professionals who who share their experiences. It's it's honestly pretty cool. We ought to get uh, Jamie on here sometime. Yeah, definitely should. So how about you? So one quick thing before I get into my update, I found out this past week that Andy Allo, uh, she's on the TV show Upload, is mixing a new album. She used to sing with Prince and then had a little bit of a solo career before she got into acting. So I'm really looking forward to that. I follow her on uh, Instagram and she did a live and uh, was talking about that. I was like, yes. So that just goes to my prediction about uh, more music coming out. Can't wait to the end of the year to share all of the new music that, uh, that I've come across uh, this past year. I was a little bit off uh, the year before last. Forgot how long it takes for music to get produced. So, yeah. So, last week, I told you guys I would talk about Albania. And, oh my goodness, that trip was amazing, y'all. Seriously, we were able to talk to so many people. If you're into numbers, over 8,000 people heard the gospel and about 4,700 were actually saved, which is just amazing. It was, um, for the group that I go with, it was their, their biggest ever in a European nation because there's a lot of kind of religious apathy over there. Even within that 1040 window, 
Uh, there's still just a lot of that going on. And so... We mean about 1040 window. Is it 10 to 40? Yeah. Age group? Okay. No, no. 1040 as in latitudes. Oh, okay. I think it's what within that area is the largest population of people who have never heard the gospel. Like 80% of people who have never heard the gospel live within those 60-something countries. And so, yeah, Albania falls within that 1040 window. So it was kind of it was kind of cool to be over there again. Like I said, uh, I think I've told you guys, I, I spent some time this past year learning the language. I'm pretty sure I've told you guys that a few times. Uh, so it was really awesome to be able to have conversations with people in Albanian and to pray with people in their native language. Uh, I got to do that several times, even once during a presentation, uh, which was pretty awesome. I also was asked to share its testimony um, at one of our large festivals in front of a crowd of a couple of thousand people, actually, in, in Elbasan. That makes me an international speaker, right? I'm claiming it. I'm claiming international speaker now. I mean, I've got the photo evidence. So, Well, if it doesn't work, you just drive to Mexico and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, yell at a crowd in a market there somewhere and then you're good, right? <laughs> I'm convinced I've, that that's what some people probably do. I've spoken at churches in Mexico. There you go. You're so already was. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know it. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, that's that's pretty cool, though. It was it was a really amazing trip. I, I really not only connected with the with the people I, I spoke with there, but also got to uh, connect with the the churches there, the the pastors at the main church that was working with us invited me to come back for Christmas. So uh, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to afford to go, you know, PTO and cost of a flight over there and all that stuff. But uh, still, I want to go back as soon as I can. I just really have a, a heart for heart for visiting them. And, you know, I just, I love the language. I love the people. And, you know, I'm going to spend as much time as I can going over there and visiting. Because I got a lot of friends there now, and I just love it over there. So, not that I don't like it here, it's just you know, it's like second home kind of thing. So it's really cool. Food's better over there. <laughs> that is so true. Oh my goodness, the food was amazing. I'm I'm not even going to go into that. We don't have time because I could spend the entire episode talking about how great the food was over there, and that was just in the hotel. Not even talking about when we went to nice restaurants. <laughs> Saving money is hard, especially when you're an international speaker who likes expensive hotel breakfasts. Lucas Casares is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Though I will say, over there, a fancy latte was like a buck fifty. So nice, yeah. The prices weren't that bad. So just like us at Complete Developer Podcast. Lucas focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan and a real set of goals for your life, but to actually take action on those goals so that you can create the life that you want. So it's not always a dream. Investing in financial planning services, well, it really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making those better financial decisions and building that habit of controlling your finances will easily pay for itself. And speaking of paying for it, Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So you don't have to wait to start. Best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. And what that means is he's not trying to sell you something, but he's here to guide you to a better financial situation. 
And if you want to hear a little bit more, uh, catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face as an IT professional. And he interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. And you can learn even more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Given enough time, every application ends up with two things. Email functionality and dashboards. While we'll probably talk about email in a later episode, we've had one about email before. Yeah, but there's, it's like date time. It's something that's going to keep coming up. Oh, yes. Dashboarding is something we all encounter from time to time. It has a lot of irritating features of reporting, and sometimes your reporting engine has dashboarding capabilities, along with at least some of the annoying bits of developing an application. Not only do you have to worry about multiple devices, potentially widely disparate user requirements, and trying to make a useful user interface, but you actually have to ask deeper questions about why various parts of the business need certain information and determine how to get it, if that's even possible. A good dashboard will serve as a landing page for many of your application's users giving them critical information to support their work and to help them make better decisions. Dashboards might show things like current system stats, trends over time, or even projections of future state based on both. Like reports, a helpful dashboard can drastically reduce the amount of work that people have to do, help them catch mistakes before they become expensive, and even help with planning. However, unlike reports, users often want to interact dynamically with the dashboard. Drilling down into interesting data or possibly even creating custom visualizations of that data. But there are downsides as well. I feel like I just listed downsides. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> uh, what did you just say, man? Uh, well, I think of those things as upsides, but I realize looking back at it, that's not upsides. Yeah. <laughs> creating a useful dashboard involves more than just pretty design layout and some random statistics about the system. You're going to have to dig to figure out what should be on the dashboard as well as what shouldn't be, which is just as, if not more important. Because your dashboard is often a landing page, you're going to have to take care to make sure that it doesn't harm system performance while also ensuring that it's responsive. You'll also find that people have very different expectations of a dashboard than they do of the rest of the application. And you'll often find people using your dashboard who don't do anything else in the system at all. Yeah, that's the manager with his feet up on the desk that's got a login he never uses till that dashboard is there, and he's there every day now. Yep. In this episode, we're going to talk about some things to keep in mind if you've been tasked with putting a system dashboard together. More than likely, the people who asked you to do it haven't completely thought through what they want. They also tend to be some of the more powerful people in your organization. If you want to do well on something that is highly visible to important people and is used to make decisions, then we've got just the episode for you. We're going to talk about some of the basic things you need to consider when laying out a dashboard. While this is by no means whatsoever a complete list or a list that is good enough for a UX designer, the suggestions we have here will still mean that you can do a better job of it than the average developer which is a good start. Yep. All right. First off, you got to know your audience. Yeah, that should be first off. That's good. 
your dashboard has users. Big surprise. <laughs> it's it, it's funny how well you say that, but there's a lot of times people are asked to stand something up that's never used. But <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, true. you do have to bear in mind there are users and all the things that you have to consider in normal application workflow apply to a dashboard. People forget that because they're thinking about what's on the dashboard versus, hey, like there's some dude bro is is logging in here. What do they want? Oh, yeah. I, I was working on some stuff last week and uh, I got it working. It was great, except I didn't think of actual use case. It was, you know, go to the page and come back. It was basically, this isn't a dashboard thing, but it was something where I wasn't going through what the user would actually do. Yep. <laughs> and as soon as it got to QA, they're like, um, this doesn't work. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't work? And he showed me, I was like, I didn't even think about that. He's like, that's what they're using it for. I'm like, I know, I was so focused on, you know, the thing that I didn't think of what the thing was being used for. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you got to understand they will, what they're going to need when looking at the dashboard. And it may not be what you're thinking because they're thinking from their business side of things and you're thinking from like the application health and development standpoint. Yeah, well, you're also, you know, you're dealing with unknowns, right? What they're thinking is an unknown. This is an aggregation of unknowns. <laughs> That's true. Right, like it is unknown. You know, like yes. it, it's null times null. Like we don't know what it is. You got to go figure this out. That's an and. You also need to be aware of their educational level, their profession, what sort of devices they use, where they use those devices, uh, et cetera, because you need to take that into account. Dashboards are heavy. And you know it, it may be too complex for what they want. It may be uh, not complex enough. You, know, you don't want to dumb something down and go, oh, here's your dashboard. You know, you big dummy. I don't think you can actually, you know, deal with, you know, the real good graphs. So we're going to give you something simple, right? You really have to mm-hmm. think about those kind of things because this is, you know, creating a dashboard is a political act. You're saying which things are important. Yeah. And it's probably better to let someone else tell you which things are important. And you're right. like, I just put on there what, you know, the PO told me. <laughs> Dear friendly fire, go that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, you need to be doing this with all of your software. But sometimes people use dashboards who otherwise wouldn't use the app. Use it on a different device. Or use it in a more remote situation. Yeah, because like, you know, they they may not be entering, like I, I deal with a lot of um, a lot of data entry and a lot of like, what is the word I'm looking for? Not policies, but like uh, permits and stuff like that. And like data entry around that. You're not going to be doing that from a mobile device. Maybe a tablet, but you're, you're going to be sitting down at a computer to enter all this stuff. But a manager might be sitting in a meeting with the phone out looking at, you know, the, the reports and the dashboard stuff. So that's a, a whole different use case than the main application. Now, speaking of use cases, the next thing that you need to kind of bear in mind is that you have to pick appropriate key performance indicators or KPIs. You know, you'll hear the old phrase that you can't easily manage what you can't easily measure. But if you measure the wrong things, you also end up managing the wrong way. So if somebody wants a dashboard, they need to have some idea in mind of what they actually want measured on that dashboard. Now, this sounds like really obvious and intuitive, but it isn't. People will tell you to just, oh, make a dashboard that tracks all this stuff. And well, what stuff? Well, you know, the stuff. 
that the app does. Like, like what? You know, how many megabytes are going through the system at, at, at a, you know, like, I don't know. What do you want? You know, what's your, what are you being judged on is, is essentially, you know, what that is. And so like one of the questions I like to ask in these kind of situations is, okay, person that's looking at this thing, you know, that, and they've got some t- job that they do. How does their manager evaluate them? Yeah. Because whatever that is probably needs to be on there. And then you can have a larger conversation about it. Like it's, it's almost like you have to get the first thing, you know, in, yeah. in their mind and go, here's the, here's the thing that's going to be on here. Is that right or wrong? And they can, they can answer your questions and then they can go. But if you're just open-ended, they can't tell you. They never can tell you. You'll often find that uh, users want to measure KPIs, but the data you need isn't in the system at all. And it's really best to discover this as early as possible. Yeah. You know, sometimes stuff is in other systems. Sometimes it's data that is, you know, kind of ephemeral and you don't really keep it for whatever reason. Sometimes it's data you can't keep, you know, for health, you know, know, like if it's health related data or, you know, PCI, you know, PCI type stuff, you know, you're not going to have that on hand to roll up on a dashboard. So you may have to have other conversations about, you know, further back in the system, where do we get this data? How do we process it uh, so that it is usable by a dashboard? And, and, you know, people have no idea about this kind of stuff. They don't know what you're tracking. Even if you tell them, they're not going to know tomorrow. And it's better to get over that. Uh, you may also find that people, if you've got multiple users or multiple, you know, user groups or just even multiple management folks in the discussion, they have widely different ideas about what to measure. People talk about making a dashboard versus making the data on the dashboard. Yeah, You want to switch that conversation to how do we make the data that's on the dashboard? Not how do we present it, but like, what is it? And and have those kind of conversations because that's the thing that people are going to butt heads and argue over and you don't want to do a bunch of design work first. That makes perfect sense. So next, you need to limit the amount of information on the page and don't rely on scrolling at all. No, no, just don't. I mean, there's there's cases where it's probably okay, but A, you don't want to be relying on it, right? Like, it's fine if it's there and it's okay. They've got a really big screen and they want to find whatever. Every metric on the dashboard needs to be useful and it needs to be findable. And both of those things increase inversely with the amount of crap on the screen. And so the good rule is, is make it where they don't have to scroll because that hides and shows things uh, and adds confusion. And so if you get useless information on there, you are crowding out good information. I mean, this is a zero-sum game. It really is. I mean, there's not a lot of that in development, but this one is one of those cases, especially when it comes to like screens and stuff. Usually you, you'd be like, oh, we can do this and that. No, this is, you got one set there. You also want to avoid adding more stuff by extending the UI downward. You know, it's better to have people click through for more detail rather than relying on scrolling. Or if you can do, like if you're not having to do mobile, do something with like modals or something. The kind of like you click on it, it pops up more information. Expansion panels are great for this. Yeah, like where you can pop out. I mean, it, it's really, you know, what it what it really is is the single responsibility principle applied to UX. Yeah. It really is. Like that's that's the design thought pattern that should be in your head here is okay, what is this thing actually doing? Not what five things is it doing? Because that's just, it's, it's, you know, crazy cakes to try to do that. 
Now, you got to remember that a lot of the data that you need for a dashboard is also intensive to retrieve. Either it's intensive to retrieve or it's intensive to put in a form where it can be retrieved, right? You're paying that cost somewhere. And if you have an oversized dashboard with too much crap on it, it can really put a load on the system. Most of the places I've worked, if you look at the worst performing parts of the system, at least for a while, it's always the dashboards because they're just, you know, they're aggregating data. There's not a reporting strategy in place yet. You know, the company's growing. That's usually when I get involved. And, and so that's a common thing that you see. And so you want to keep that scope tight, essentially. So next, you want to make sure you use the right chart types. Pie and area charts are rarely the best choice for visualization and comparison of data because people aren't good at comparing and contrasting spatial representations. Uh, in general, some people right. are really good at it and they score high on that. And they t- and they do pie charts on everything. Yeah. And everybody goes, oh, he's really smart. So that must be the right way to do it. Yeah. I'm I'm one of these people that that's really good with spatial. Like I always scored really high on that. So I see I see like pie and area charts and they just click in my head. I, they make perfect sense to me. But it took me a long time to realize, hey, other people don't grasp that the same way. Yeah, well, I mean, like, imagine, you know, like, imagine a circle, right? And, you know, it's whatever size you want it to be. And then imagine a circle that has twice the area of that circle. Like, upon first glance, does it look twice as big? Right. And, and like, when you got the math background and, and all that stuff, like, it's a little easier, but it's still, it's, it's processing. It's not like that visual acuity. Like, you look at it and you go, oh, that's twice as big. And so that, that sort of thing. And and it, when it gets to be, you know, volumetric instead of area, it's even harder for people. Um, and so that's the sort of thing we're kind of talking about here. Plus what happens with, you know, things like color. Oh, yeah. You got to be really tricky with color because you have to think about accessibility. There's an episode we, we really could do is a, that would be a really great one to do one on accessibility. Um, yeah. We get like, well, if we get like a designer or a UI person on here to to talk about that, I would, I'm going to put that on the Crombon right I've now. Got, I've got several that I could get. Um, but, you know, even color can look different, right? Like if you have a, a red circle and a blue circle that are the same size, they don't look like it necessarily. Especially if you've got other elements in there. It can, it can really, it can throw off your, your spatial perception. So, yeah. So pie and area charts, not ideal for, you know, dumping out information, you are going to probably be asked to put them on there in a lot of cases because people don't know that. Really what you need to be doing is looking at what they're trying to do with that data. They're comparing something, you know, they're comparing current trends to previous ones. Uh, you know, they're visualizing a distribution of data. They're trying to find outliers. They're trying to determine propor- you know proportions of something, right? Which is what a pie chart kind of is supposed to do. Uh, but most of the time it is visually a little bit confusing. And you, you base your charts on on what you're doing and, and probably don't use those. Yeah. Now, bar charts, gauges, and those kind of things, they look cool. But unless looking cool is the primary purpose of the dashboard. And that may be the purpose of the dashboard. It may be, especially when you got venture capital. Yeah. It very well may be the purpose of the dashboard is to, hey, we want it to look cool and present the data they can make it a lot harder to understand that data. 
you also need to position dashboard elements in order of importance. So you don't just throw stuff on the screen some random place. You know, users are going to be on different sizes of screens and most of them intuitively understand that the most important data is on the top left, at least in countries with a left-to-right, top-down style of reading. I've got no idea what they do when it's right-to-left. I don't know if they look in the upper right or do they still do the same thing with computer screens that we do? I've, I've got no idea. Um, That's but a whatever, really good uh, question. Yeah. And I thought about that when I was writing it and I'm like, hey, maybe. But the thing about it is the thing that's in the upper left, if it is a smaller screen, that is going to be the thing that displays first. And so that that may be the best way to look at it. I would think just because of that, that they have they may have trained themselves to do that. But if we have someone, and I know we have listeners all over the world. So if you're if you're in a country where you natively read right to left instead of left to right, let us know how how do you place elements on a screen because I'd Honestly, I would love to hear that. You can comment on here, shoot us an email at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com or join us in Slack and say something there uh, or any of our social media. Uh, we, we keep up with it. But yeah, I would love to hear that because that'd be fascinating to learn. Now, remember that on a smaller screen, users may only be able to see one chunk of the dashboard and you need to make sure that they're in that logical order when dealing with that unusual screen size. And sometimes you'll have managers that put a huge screen on the wall too. But the temptation can be, hey, I've got a big development workstation and I'm going to lay stuff out where it looks good on here, but not think about what happens you know, when it's, when it's narrower and stuff that was side by side. You know, Now this one follows the other one or it's you know, dropped in some other weird location. Also, Especially if it was like one below the other. Also, something that I've noticed that QA has done is they will increase the screen resolution. Like they'll they'll pop it up to like you know 150, 200% for testing stuff or zoom. Yeah, in zoom out. in on it and just like, hmm, that looked good on my screen. That does not look good like that. Well, when you got a when you got a screen like what I've got, you'd oh, be yeah. amazed how many websites just look like utter crap when you oh, take that. it to full screen. Oh yeah. Of course, I'm not. A, it's not a real normal use case either, so I'm not mad about it, and that's not how I normally use it. But it is a thing, and it will be a thing going forward at some point. Yeah, I mean, at some point we're gonna have to deal with the the ultra wide because that's becoming a big thing too. Yeah, well, it was a big thing. Wow, I'm yeah. gonna get myself a, a, a an ultra wide curved monitor. Thought about doing that. I've seen a few. I'm like, I want one of those. Yeah, they were they're a little too overpriced for what I wanted. I'm yeah, it's I'm kind of that's why I, I've been hesitant. I'm like, uh, it was like twelve hundred bucks when I was looking for yeah, what I wanted. Yeah, it's come down a little bit, but not not enough for me to be like, all right, I'm going to grab one. So, yeah, but you got to remember that the goal of a dashboard is to quickly surface important data and then get out of the way. Right? They're they're going here, looking at something, making a decision, and then going into the system and doing something, or going into a boardroom and doing something. Next. You want to use more negative space and margins. You need more space between dashboard elements uh, than you might elsewhere. And so you want to kind of consider doubling things like your margins and your padding. Just because people are, they're looking at these at a quick glance. Right. I mean, these are not, uh, I'm sitting here staring at the screen as I lean forward like you guys can see me. Right. (laughs) 
you know, it, this is not like I'm sitting here staring at a screen, but it's I need to quickly get this information. Uh, a lot of times it's like the use case I think of is managers in meetings. That's where I've seen the most use uh, in my experience of dashboards is a manager need, is in a meeting, their manager asks them a question and they want to look it up really quickly. So they either got their phone, even if they've got their laptop out, they need to be able to quickly glance and know where it is on the screen and see it immediately. And if you've got it all cluttered, it's going to make it harder to do that. Yeah, and it makes them look dumb because they can't answer a question quickly. Um, and by the way, loading slow also does that. So just bear that in mind. Yep. Uh, and that's why we, we're talking about limiting the amount of stuff on there. Th- this is why uh, there's real human beings actually using it. It looks really cool to have an information-dense dashboard, especially when you're a developer, because you're like, oh, it's got all the stuff on here that I need. And it's like, yeah, you're planning on sitting here at a screen looking at it. Not Your use case is not the same. So you got to be careful about that because it is really intimidating to other people and it's hard <laughs> to find stuff. Right. Like, I mean, seriously, if you have an information dense thing and and you built it, you know where all the pieces are. But, you know, some dude that's he's got some other job and he's doing something else goes and looks at that thing and it's spends 10 minutes trying to find the piece of data he wants. And it's intimidating and it makes him feel stupid. And you really, really want to avoid doing that. Like you Mm -hmm. want to make them feel empowered and smart. Now, using space in this way also fights against the tendency to cram every little statistic that you can find onto a page because you don't have as much space on the page when you have to space things out, which is good because again, it goes back to that idea of quick glance. Well, this also, if you don't surface every, every, you know, piece of data that you possibly can have, that also makes it more likely that you won't collect every piece of data that you could possibly have. You'll actually focus on stuff that matters, that, you know, that's actual useful KPIs. Absolutely. All the way through the app stack. And that that's a lot of savings on just headaches, bugs, all kinds of problems. Now, speaking of saving on headaches and bugs, you also need to personalize dashboard outputs by role. Not everybody should see the same dashboard unless it is extremely general, in which case I'm not sure how useful it actually is going to be. Uh, because it's not supporting anybody's decision when it's supporting everybody's reading, essentially. Users are going to all have their own requirements. They're going to have their own KPIs, and they're going to have different things that they are looking for that support or stand against a decision that they're trying to make. Now, you might be able to do this like based on user role, but yeah, you're, you're definitely going to want to have different dashboards. There may be even entire sections of the dashboard that need to be hidden from certain roles. Like you should design from the outset with this expectation because it's going to become a thing. No matter yeah, like, like even if they, they don't say it up front, just expect that and have that in the back of your mind when you're designing. Yeah. I, I don't want to tell you guys to, to kind of break the, the Yagni here, but you want to have this in mind with the design so that you're not having to go in and rewrite a bunch of stuff when they do eventually ask for it. Because Yeah, I mean, this it's kind of a basic thing, though. I, I don't know that that necessarily falls under Yagni. Like it, it, unless their, their dashboard requirements are extremely simple to the level that a reporting engine can do all of it, you know, with drag and drop, you know, you're, you're going to be there from the get-go. That's like not having users and roles in your system. You know, it's, just, it's, it's really hard to, to visualize a, a use case for that. Now, you also need to remember that different user types 
may also have completely different hardware and use cases for your dashboard. So you may have your CEO who's sitting there on a nice laptop in the corporate office hitting a dashboard, but he's got some field manager that is, you know, in Albania, in, you know, in rural Albania doing something at, you know, some, some factory somewhere. Right. And he's not on a high speed internet connection. He is on, you know, his, his CDN is different. All the stuff he's doing is different. And if he's hitting the same, you know, the same dashboard as a CEO, one of those two people is going to be disappointed. It's either the powerful one or the one who makes the money, who, you know, creates the money for the company. Yeah, pretty much. And, and neither one of those is a good situation. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of bad situations, you really want to make sure you design dashboards kind of late in the process of building an app. You might put some pieces in place, but you probably won't put the full-on dashboarding system uh, in place. Because if you design dashboards early on, a lot of the information that you need is not available yet because the system isn't built. Which means that you're going to be constantly tinkering with the dashboard as your application is developed. This also means that your approaches to collecting the data, processing the data, all that kind of stuff, like that's going to change the entire time. And it's going to be a lot of extra work. Just like other application requirements, you'll also find the dashboard requirements sometimes don't survive first contact with the users. <laughs> uh, the further along your application is in its life cycle, the less likely this is to happen. So, yeah, you 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 want to get the, that along. Well, and you have a better idea of what's in the system. Your devs yeah. talk to that the users. You know, the users have, have understood the devs a little bit better, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, data retrieval requirements for dashboards are often pretty intense. And you also get uh, what can only be described as caching fun uh, <laughs> involved in there. And the, the dashboard is a highly visible representation of your application, you know, potentially to senior management. So you don't want it to frequently break due to changes and you don't want stale data showing up on there all the time. Mm hmm. And so you probably are going to want to wait just so that you can get other infrastructure pieces in place that the application is going to need that happen to be helpful with the dashboard versus having to build all that out to support just the dashboard from the start. So next, make sure to add context to display numbers. Like If you're showing a number such as a total amount sold, number of users, that sort of thing, you need to show that number in context, usually comparing it to a number from an earlier period or like number of like, for example, at the, the beginning of the episode, I said for you who are interested in numbers, you know, we over 8,000 people heard the gospel and, you know, about 4,700 like were saved. That puts that, if I had just given you that 4,700, it's out of context. You don't know, well, how many people did you actually talk to? Well, you know, out of 8,000, it's a little over half, which is really good. I mean, it's, well, that's really, really good. And the context in, in terms of longer trends is the other thing, right? Yeah. So if, if some dude goes, hey, last year I made $150,000. Like, go dog, that's awesome. And if the next thing the dude says is, my name's Kanye, that, paints a very different picture than what it just sounded like. You did not give those numbers in context. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. 
Uh, so yeah, it's 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 super duper important to do this. You know, one of the primary purposes of a dashboard is to quickly inform people. And if you give them the wrong information, that dashboard is worse than useless. Um, and so it typically means, hey, you know, there's some kind of delta in those numbers. You know, there's the numbers are split some kind of way, and and you know, we can look at the different pieces. There, there's something going on there. Yeah, and don't forget to add units where appropriate. Either I mean. If you took physics in college, maybe even high school, I didn't take it in high school. I took it in college, AP calculus in high school. They were all at the same time because it was fourth period and you had an extra like bit of time. So they all scheduled them at the same time. Anyway, if you took physics, then it was drilled in your head to like use, like add the units. At least it wasn't my physics classes. But, uh, you know, this happens you know, a lot more often than you think. People just don't think about that. And they're like, oh yeah, it's it's this. And yeah. the the speed, you know, the speed went up to 9,000 millimeters per hour. But you said, hey, it went up to 9,000. It's like, well, of course, you know, that goes also back to the context thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to know, hey, is this a glacier or is it a bullet? Yeah, I mean... Um, and like, I was just thinking of, you said speed and I was like, yeah, I just got gigabit internet. I was like, yeah, speed's like 900. And if yeah. Well, if you're rolling up bits. numbers out of a, yeah, <laughs> if you're aggregating numbers out of a database and sticking them in a label, it's really easy to forget the other label that goes, hey, what is this unit? Right. Or to screw up and not even have the same units that you're rolling up. That's oh that that you're is, like why are these yeah. numbers so far off? It's like yeah, well this table puts it in this and this table you know this this table's in pounds and this one's in you know kilograms because it's you know in Europe. Oh yeah, and if you don't if you don't set it right, that could be. Yeah, so I mean, like, how many libraries of Congress per hour is your internet speed? Since we, that's how we measure things in America: football fields, libraries <laughs> of Congress, and heights of giraffes. Because yeah, we have so many yeah. of those running around. Well, I mean, that's like. Um, yeah, I was talking to Will earlier about uh, doing kettlebell swings because uh, um, I haven't been able to make it to the gym, so I've just been doing those. And I said something to one of the guys at the gym. He's like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. I was like, yeah, having some car trouble, so I've just been doing kettlebell swings at home. He was like, oh, cool. How much are you swinging? I was like, 16. He's like, 16 pounds? I'm like, kilos? Um, yeah, because like I learned from Russian kettlebell, so it's all in kilos. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, about double what you were thinking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> double plus, <laughs> yeah, uh, plus some, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, well, speaking of kettlebells, the next thing that's very important is to be consistent. Uh, like other areas of an application, the design of a dashboard needs to be consistent, both internally and, and without. Uh, users should not regularly be surprised by how any part of the application behaves. And this is especially true of a dashboard because it's going to be the users that the consequence of them being surprised is probably the least helpful. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's typically important for a dashboard to be consistent with the design of the rest of the application where possible. Now, sometimes the dashboard is sort of a a separate thing it is nice if it like it, it should be somewhat consistent there, especially with like measurements and stuff. If your application yeah. is all in kilograms, the dashboard should be in kilograms. 
yeah, if your Mars rover is, you know, using metric, you probably don't need to use standard measurements to get it there. Otherwise, yeah. you have a meteor. Uh, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> right. It right. happened like in the 90s at some point. I don't remember, but I wouldn't be surprised, man. I would not. Not at all. Oh, my goodness. Now, you should also try to use consistent colors for elements in your charts. Uh, for instance, if you've got, you know, you've got some chart somewhere that shows, you know, the eastern division is red, then that division, when it's in a different chart, should also be red. If somebody's clicking through from one to the other, it shouldn't flop the colors on them because that that will confuse people very, very quickly. I've worked on systems that had that, and it, it was a nightmare to try to figure out what was going on. People were constantly confused. Even though all the data was there and correct, they weren't looking at it from a holistic perspective of that UX. Mm. That makes sense. So guys, designing usable dashboards is not necessarily difficult, but it is slightly different than designing regular application screens, and it's got a lot more politics in it. The user's intentions are different here and are sort of a cross between reporting and normal application use. And that's normal in air quotes. However, if you do keep a few simple things in mind, you can design a halfway decent dashboard without going crazy or spending days fighting with CSS. And then when your app gets big enough, you can hire a real designer and you push that on them. And that pretty much wraps us up. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.